Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're here with Vanessa Gregoriadis, author of the new book, Blurred Lines, Rethinking Sex, Power, and Consent on Campus. Vanessa, welcome to the EdCast. Thanks so much for having me. So a little bit about this book, especially in the context of uh, all the changes and all the perceptions that are happening around uh, sexual assault on college campuses related to uh, changes with Betsy DeVos and, and the way those conversations are happening. Why is this book so relevant, so important right now in this day? Well, I spent about three years working on it. Um, I investigated sex and sexual assault across the country. I went to many different campuses. Um, you know, I am a Gen X mother of two. But I strapped on a backpack, and I wore some sneakers and jeans, and I hung out at campus food courts and in dorm rooms, and I went to frat parties, and I really talked to kids on their own terms and tried to hear their voices. So I wrote this book for particularly parents and educators who want to know what the kids themselves are saying about this topic. Um, And I was really able to you know, capture that by doing kind of almost gonzo reportage, right? Not saying let's set this up, you know, through the communications department and sit down at a conference table and get some prepackaged quotes from the activists on the campus about how the university doesn't take sexual assault seriously, right? Like, let's really try to understand where the kids are coming from because kids themselves are the drivers of change here, They're taking this issue incredibly seriously. Um, It's a real generational shift in the way that they think about sexual consent. And let's look at some of these numbers, Vanessa. Uh, The United Educators, America's largest collegiate insurance company, estimates that 73% of college sexual assault victims are freshmen or sophomores, and 88% of gang rape victims are freshmen. Uh, You bring up something called the red zone. What is that for our listeners? Mm -hmm. So the red zone is the first six weeks of school. You know, most sexual assault happens during that period. It happens mostly with, you know, freshmen and sophomores. It's a lot of kids who are drinking a lot, and they really haven't before. And it's kids who don't know each other well who end up in these assault scenarios. They may have liked each other's pictures on Facebook. They may be, you know, even had sexted each other's photos, you know, earlier in the week. But they really have no, you know, in real life relationship with each other. And that is where a lot of the assault happens. That's what we need to focus on. We need to figure out how to teach kids to have sex in a responsible way that isn't violating to their other partner if they're going to participate in the drunken hookup culture on campus, which we know they are. We know that many kids are picking the party pathway, right, through college. They may be doing well in their classes. They may not be doing well in their classes, but they are all partying much more than they used to 20-odd years ago. I mean, the binge drinking numbers for women in particular are, you know, just stunning, really, in college. I think a lot of people amongst the Harvard Graduate School of Education community and listeners of this podcast would think that, well, a lot of higher education institutions uh, address this during orientation with 
uh, anti-assault orientation programming, and you have something to say about the effectiveness of that intervention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think just having a webinar where kids click through and say, I understand what consent is, I mean, that's useless. I don't know what consent is exactly. Philosophers, law professors, everybody has, you know, is arguing over what that definition is. The idea that a kid who's 18 years old, you know, orientation is just clicking through and has settled it now in his mind and knows how to act responsibly, I mean, that is just preposterous. Um, bystander education, I think, is a great idea in abstract, right? Because everybody's a bystander. This is about community norms. This is about protecting your fellow classmate and all of us together making a new ethical standard for sex on campus. And that, again, in the abstract is great. But in the short term, we have some very good data from Canada that's showing that something called empowerment self-defense, which is actual physical self-defense moves with teaching women how to remove themselves from situations before the assault arises is getting really good results with girls, protecting girls, right? So the idea is, who do you need to worry about, girls? You need to worry about the guy who is somewhat misogynist, because actually, if he makes sexualized jokes in situations that aren't sexual, if he insists always on driving for a date, or he insists always on paying, or he always interrupts you. When he doesn't listen to your concerns in one context, he probably won't listen in a sexual context either. Those are some of the guides to stay away from, and stay away from the dangerous situations. The most dangerous situation, of course, is it's 2 in the morning at the frat party, the beer runs out, somebody's friend of a friend says, hey, come back to my house because I've got some beer there at my off-campus apartment. It's just a few blocks away. We need to tell our students, male or female, don't follow that guy. That is a dangerous situation you're about to walk into. That is not the same as blaming a victim. That is very different than saying the woman is asking for it. I'm just saying, let's be realistic. Let's be pragmatic. Let's teach girls what they need to know. And in the spirit of being realistic and pragmatic, you address many of the problems, but you also come up with some of the solutions. You mentioned this frat party, and I know at Harvard here, uh, they're dealing with uh, the finals clubs and what that means in in terms of context. And I know you looked at Harvard and Wesleyan. Uh, General thoughts on what you can use and do as an intervention to reduce assaults on college campuses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's plainly ridiculous that as a country we're involved in a a conversation about due process in campus tribunals, of which there are a few thousand. And yet the Greek system across America has gone up by 50% in the last decade, okay? The Greek system dominates so many college social life lives of the campus. And what does Greek system cement? It cements gender norms and a lot of toxic ideas about gender. And those are the ideas we need to combat. So I just think it's a very bad idea to have those in a central place, a central place for the social life of the campus. I mean, you know, Harvard and Wesleyan, I think, have taken great strides on this. And the other thing is universities, you know, the universities need to reckon with the fact that they have decided to remove legal liability from drinking from their campuses. When you've got a keg in your dorm room, 
you're a student, you're going to get into some serious trouble for that, right? You're not necessarily just going to get a slap on the wrist, definitely not the second time, keg in a dorm. Forget it. So now the drinking is in the unsupervised frat basement. And I'm not saying all frats are bad, but there's enough bad eggs in each campus to really, and, and the overarching idea of sex segregated social clubs, I believe, is a negative, you know, a negative ideal that, you know, we really need to put this in the conversation. Yeah. And, you know, your book brings up an interesting concept of most of the time around uh, sexual assault, the phrase no means no comes up. And, and I like the way you've reframed that. You want to share that with the listeners? Sure. I mean, I argue in my book for yes means yes, which, you know, is the rule, right, at the majority of American universities now. Um, you know, they're having a yes means yes standard. It's in the student conduct code, you know, whether students themselves um, are, you know, performing that way in the bedroom. You know, we don't really know yet, but there's some indications that they're taking it pretty seriously. And the important thing to remember is, even though that may seem ridiculous to adults, right, who have had a good amount of sex and know that sex doesn't always need a verbal yes or some sort of moan for each, you know, the successive act that goes on in the bedroom, we're not talking about adults. We're talking about kids who may be virgins. They may have had sex once or twice, maybe three different partners, right? Probably not much more than that. And for them, having sex in this way is still going to be exciting because they still have sex. They like it. They're very excited that they're getting to have it. They don't mind asking this question. And for them, it is taking the place, or it's an addition to, I should say, even though we know they don't all get, you know, they don't all protect themselves. But the Gen X question was, should I get a condom, right? So nobody asked, can I have sex with you? Are you okay with this, really? But Gen Xers kind of said, should I get a condom? And that was the last moment that the partner could say, no, you shouldn't get a condom because we're not going to have sex. Now we have a new question, which is, are you okay with this? Are you ready to do this? Do you want to? I think that's a great question. I think we can teach young kids to ask that question, and I think that's going to really clear up a lot of the confusion about consent that particularly a lot of boys have because now they've asked and they have the answer. You know, and they'll feel confident, too. I think it's good for everybody. And to that point, looking at the sort of federal level right now with the secretary of education and uh, looking at ways in which sexual assaults dealt with on campus, uh, how does much of what you're writing in the book affect what's the conversation that's happening at the federal mainstream level around sexual assault on campus coming from the Department of Education? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the important thing to remember is that, you know, the prevention education is legislated. DeVos can't do anything to roll back that. You know, we can still teach our kids with the best classes we have available, the best data. Maybe it's the empowerment self-defense I just talked about. Maybe it's the bystander education seminars that have good data behind them. Really try to re-educate these kids, you know, and also do what California did, which is try to get in there in the middle school and high schools and try to put consent education on the curriculum for sex ed. So sex ed is not just looking at scary pictures of STDs 
and learning how to put a condom on a banana. And of course, I'm talking about the places that have sex ed, right, in their middle and high schools, but that we really talk about consent as well. So I think all of that is going to stay where she really is going to make some changes and, you know, it's going to start rolling out are the campus courts, which, again, very, very few students actually interact with campus courts. The reality is most victims just don't do anything, right? They just tell a best friend, you know, cry on a shoulder and kind of let it go. So, of course, the campus courts have some problems. We've created a parallel kind of adjudication system. Of course, not every Title IX investigator is fantastic, but I believe that she is not letting the public in to the truth, which is that Title IX offices have gotten better and better and better since the Dear Colleague letter in 2011. A lot of money and a lot of good employees have been poured into those departments. And we're taking this stuff seriously. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding. The kids are taking it seriously themselves. You know, this is a core issue for many young millennials. So I believe we should stay the course. She, you know, obviously does not. Um, I think that, you know, the, the jury will be out on that in terms of how many universities will follow her lead and how many universities will say, you know what, in three years, we're going to have a different administration. So we're not going to go in and change up everything that we just changed to kind of comply with the original guidance. Vanessa, last question, and this is you allowing you a chance to speak directly to people on college campuses, whether that's senior administrators, uh, staff, members of Title IX offices, or even most importantly, students freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and seniors listening to this, what is it that you want most to be taken away from your messaging, your research, your book? Well, I just, I want, the, you know, students in particular to realize that whatever they have been taught by pop culture or by music or even by their parents when they were younger, that no means no or maybe not, maybe no means yes, maybe girls always say no before you get to a yes, and maybe a real man always pushes as hard as he can because if he doesn't take, you know, advantage of this girl who's kind of half drunk, then, you know, he can't look his friends in the eyes tomorrow because he wouldn't have had sex, and oh my God, you know, these kinds of thought patterns that are so negative that we have a chance now to really reset that in this country, that we have a chance to, to try to deal with each other in a way that's thoughtful and compassionate in the bedroom, leave the other partner feeling more self-esteem, not less self-esteem. You know, we all know that the influence of social media has made a lot of wonkiness go on in the bedroom, right? Like a lot of people are kind of thinking of each other more and more as objects, and they're more and more sexualizing themselves to get those likes online. That all may be the case, but we can make some rules in real life, in the bedroom, off of social media, where everybody comes away from sex feeling good about themselves. I'm not saying that to shout to the rooftops saying that was the best experience of my life. And I'm not saying that they won't sometimes feel ambivalent. But the number of students who are feeling violated is not okay. And those new rules, we just need to focus on that. It's about ethics. 
It's about following these new rules and treating each other compassionately. Words as timely as they are supremely relevant. The name of the book is Blurred Lines, Rethinking Sex, Power, and Consent on Campus, available wherever fine books are sold. Vanessa, thanks for bringing all of these ideas to the front and uh, for, uh, for writing this book. Thank you so much. This has been the Harvard Adcast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.